0: Here's your host, William Tincup, Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Amy on from ADP, and our topic is the myths of great leaders. I We've had this on the schedule for a couple of weeks, and I cannot wait to get into this. As you know, Amy's a recurring guest because we love her, and uh, and it's always a fun talk. So why don't we just, just jump right into it, Amy, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Amy Leshke-Carl. I'm the Vice President of Talent Insights and Innovation for ADP.
0: Now, your title has changed a little bit because I, I, I noticed that. And so you're, you're, you're working more with ADP proper?
1: Well, I always have. And I think we're, the new title just kind of represents that a little bit better and represents the breadth of work that um, my team and I have been doing over the last couple of years.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we're going to do some myth busting, which I love. But what are the myths? Let's start with kind of some of the some of the basic stuff for the audience. What are some of the common myths of great leaders?
1: Oh, my gosh. There's so many of them. I, I,
0: Alphabetical. I a <laughs>
1: yeah, I had to make a list because there's so many of them. And I blame myself as a talent practitioner a little bit because of some of the things that I've always thought and always said and always tried to make happen. But I think as so many of us who are in this world of helping leaders be better leaders and helping people do more better work, we, we've done all of those things. And yet it doesn't feel like the the leader expertise and the leadershipiness of people has really shifted all that much. I don't know about what your thoughts are around that, William. You have exposure to probably more people than I do.
0: Well, you know, I think one of the things that that uh, I think this uh, kind of coming out of World War II and coming out of the military industrial complex i think people thought of leaders historically of as as all knowing because of that model you know the 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 military model is you don't really question a leader you know a leader says we're going to take that hill okay like that's the that's the job and i think that that model might have worked for a while although there's probably a discussion there to be had but i i think that you know, leaders don't know everything, and so I think that the the leaders that I see now that are more vulnerable is I, I like that. I I don't know if that's perfect on er, in every situation, but I like it when a leader says, "Yeah, I don't have the all the answers." In fact, that's why I need you to help me with these answers to grapple with these things. But I I do think that, therefore, a time people just didn't question authority. They didn't question their leaders.
1: I think you brought up a really good point in that how we think about leaders and how we think about leading is contextual. And personal. So there isn't a one size fits all. And maybe that's the first myth is that there's some magic, beautiful model that every great leader fits into. And of course, there isn't. If you think about the two best leaders that you've ever had exposure to, and if you're lucky... It's this is a rare thing. But if you're lucky, maybe you even got to work for one of them. They're very different. Mm-hmm. They, great leaders show up very differently. They act very differently. They have their own different, you know, in our world, we would say unique strengths. Those, those right. leaders are very unique. And the best leaders figure out how to create their own unique model. They don't try to fit themselves into one that that isn't them.
0: I love that because it reminds me of I worked for Sam Walton for a number of years, and he was the antithesis of of being a leader in the sense of he first time I met him I said Mister Walton and he stopped me right full stop he's like yeah my name's Sam and I'm like <laughs> I was like sixteen I might have been 15, 16 years old and uh, and and of course I'm thinking to myself this guy's a billionaire. And he wants me to call him by his first name. Like that's set that starts this conversation. And every time I got to see him and work with him, uh, he was down to earth. Like we used to call it country savvy. But it's it's just he was down to earth. And at any point at any point when you would talk to him, he'd be like, How's your family? How's, how's your mom? You know, I know that you have a dog. How's your dog? You know, like rarely would it be about business. Now, occasionally it would. He, he uh, he caught me one time in, uh, Odessa where I'd redone the entire furniture model, uh, and module. And, uh, and so he, he saw it and he loved it, but then he asked, and you know, it was, it was a little bit less about my dog and my mom and all that other stuff. He's like, now why did you do this? I said, yeah, Sam, no one's going to buy a lamp in a box. You got to light them up. You got to put them up on the wall. You got to let people see the 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 light bulb and just kind of put their hands underneath it and all that. And he loved it. Like he loved that I questioned authority. So there was he gave me some space and uh, and he didn't, you know, he didn't fault me for it. And uh, and again, there was a business. There's a businessman inside of or there was a businessman inside of Sam Walton. He just did to show it to people all the time.
1: Well, it's that's a really good example of someone who, if let's just say you tried to emulate him and be exactly like him, right? It, it most likely wouldn't work the same 100%. for you as it did for 100%. him. And yet, that's what we teach. I mean, you, you as well, and I, both of us know and have seen all the circle models, all the pie oh, charts, yeah. oh, all yeah. oh, the yeah. oh, circles mushed yeah. together about this is what great leaders do. And and an interesting exercise for people to try is to say, okay, give me three descriptors of a great leader. So it's usually like collaboration and partnership or, you know, whatever, communication. And you can (laughs) take that thing, let's just say it's communication and say, I want two leaders who are great at communication and tell me two really good leaders who aren't.
0: Right, right.
1: what, and once you kind of pose it in that way and push into a little bit those common descriptors, those things that we think everybody needs to be, there's always examples of folks who fit that thing and folks who don't,
0: but they're so, still but they're, but they can still be a great leader even if they don't do that particular trait well
1: absolutely yeah. and you don't want I mean one might argue communication, whatever that means, but people are <laughs> going to do that in different ways or. Or collaborative. Like think about it this, and you think about we um, and we talk about as well because we know the power of being a great coach, but not every leader needs to be a great coach. Weirdly, some leaders are much better advisors than they are coaches.
0: Right. Right.
1: It's and that's it's okay. interesting.
0: Business schools are the worst at this. And of course, I can say this because I have an MBA and I, I took tears out of my life and earned an MBA. But they teach exactly what you're talking about. They teach there is basically one model of leadership, and and people don't see themselves in it. But they try to then force themselves. You know, they try to emulate that behavior, which is worse, in my opinion, because it's disingenuous. Like that's not who they are, and they're not dealing with their strengths. They're dealing with a model of and again a, a historical model. That might have worked for some people, and I'll just kind of put a couple of qualifiers on there. Might have worked uh, for some people, but but again, business schools are horrible at this. Uh, I also think that if we get into the sports world, I think that 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 a lot of coaches get fired because they they, they they're themselves. They do them, and they're good at doing them, and their model doesn't work. And uh, the, the team doesn't let them – they don't give them enough latitude to lead for enough time to then say, your model works. Um, and, and it's like you, you're not coaching the same way that this other person coaches. It's like, yeah, because I'm not that person.
1: Exactly. And we try to force fit someone into that model. And then even think about when we kind of rate people or do 360s against those right. models that right. they don't fit in. And we – do things like, you know, send people to lots of training to be more collaborative. And by the way, it's not that we shouldn't be more collaborative. We all of us probably should maybe be a little bit more collaborative, but only to a certain extent. There's a difference between proficiency. Like we need to be proficient at the skills we need to do our job. Right. And being extraordinary at something and extraordinary. Your extraordinariness is unique to you, just like mine is unique to me. Right. We can both Achieve proficiency at something. And that looks very, very much the same for for us in the context if we're doing the same thing. So but take that's-
0: the word. Uh, sorry, Amy. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So take the word collaborative. And something that's coming into my mind is 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 it just that it's subjective and that people have different def- definitions? Or is it that um, or possibly and or is it that the expectations of collaboration have changed?
1: It's definitely an and.
0: Okay. 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 It's,
1: yeah. It's definitely an and. And I think, again, that it, taking collaboration is one of those things that everybody says we need more of. It is also, again, incredibly situational. So you right. may have someone who is, I'm going to make this up, a design engineer. They're designing, I may know someone who fits this bill, by the way, designing instrumentation in the water and wastewater industry. To a large degree, a lot of that person's time is spent independently doing right. independent work. And it's not that they don't need to be collaborative at a proficient level. Of course they do. They lean into their colleagues and they may ask for help, or can you please approve this or make sure I design this correctly? Absolutely. But in that kind of context, maybe they don't need to be the uber collaborative person.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. They, they need yeah. to be. I, mean, I was thinking as you were talking about it, I was thinking about a fighter jet. Uh, pilot, you know, in the the midst of, or on the edge of combat, you know, (laughs) they don't, they don't necessarily need to be super collaborative.
1: (laughs) Well, and even, and you brought up another great point, is that what does collaboration collaboration mean today in the world of work, and what does that look like, and what are the the modalities and the practices we have to be more collaborative? It's not necessarily face-to-face anymore, Um, and it might be collaborative in a way that um, I'm going to almost call it delayed collaboration, right? So we think about collaboration as being super real time, but it might be I lean into a group of people for feedback on a paper that I've written, and it may take a couple weeks. So I right. think one of the the challenges, and we've gone, of course, down a rabbit hole here, but sometimes the the in our effort to over-define something or an effort to define something, we almost like over-define it. It's like going right. from a, you know, a pass fail to a nine point rating scale. Like it doesn't <laughs> it just buys you complexity and confusion. It doesn't buy you clarity.
0: So, all right. so we don't go further down this rabbit hole. Cause let's, let's hammer a couple other myths real quick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we talked just a little bit about this, but we've talked about context and you were talking about leading, you were talking about, you know, after World War II, yeah. there's a difference between supervising, managing and leading. So you think about, we supervise people doing a process, right? Someone is building a tractor and you're right. supervising the them assembling that tractor to ensure quality and to make sure they're as productive as they need to be. You think about managing. I don't like to think about managing people. I don't like that term. Like managing people. Again, it feels very inhuman to me. We manage work and manage projects. I don't think we manage people. I mean, who wants to be? I don't want to be managed. Oh, no way. But I think we lead people. And the hard part around when you think about the supervisor, manager, the leader is that those often take place in the same person in the same day with the same people that you happen to be supervising, managing and leading. It's not, I'm a supervisor or a manager or a leader. I'm not talking about job titles, but we're all three. And when do you do which one of those things? And hopefully you spend most of your time in the leading bucket and not very much time and maybe no time depending on the kind of work in the supervising bucket, and a little bit of time in the managing bucket to make sure that people are still directionally going in the right way, qualities where it needs to be, et cetera. But we wanna spend most of our time in the leading bucket and in the leading bucket where we are doing it in a way that makes the most sense for us and our team.
0: Well, it's nice in, in those three personas, even even being the same person, is if they can shift out of that persona and communicate with people. It's like, okay, you know what? Let me put on my leadership hat. Let me put on my manager hat. And look at the process. Look at the tech. And look at how we're how we're doing things. Or let me put on my supervisor hat. Like, if people were to talk like that and and be received like that, then I think people would be able to see the three different personas come together. Uh, I I fear whether or not people are open enough, or even if they know themselves well enough. So if they've if they've you know done some type of analysis with themselves and they they understand that I'm actually three different people, and I have three different personas, and I need to actually do a better job of communicating those personas to the people I work with,
1: yeah, and I don't think most people certainly approach the job of leading others in that way with that right. thought process. Part yeah. of that is because we've not created a very grown up environment in which people work.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) That's we've created an environment in which we've set the expectations that first and foremost, your job as a person on an org chart who has people below you is really to supervise. That's That's right. That's that's, That's right. That's the environment that we've created, as opposed to creating an environment in which, hey, you've got these people below you. um, Your job is to provide support, guidance, and direction to them. It's not just supervise them. Right. Not to do their work, although sometimes they may need help, and sure.
0: Yeah.
1: But your job is to provide support, guidance, and direction to them. In other words, lead, help be a leader to them. And even the word leader gets a little yep. fuzzy, right? Because it sounds very woo-woo, right? It sounds like, you know <laughs> what it sounds like. It just sounds kind of soft and fluffy. And not, again, that we need to over define that word. But I like to describe it, again, simply as providing support guidance and direction to someone else
0: so what do you what do you think about the leaders uh, especially from an employee's perspective is it is it uh nature versus nurture is it something that leaders are born with and they have an innate and natural ability to lead or is it uh, that they're taught like by being around other great leaders like how do where where do great leaders come from?
1: I think that is a fabulous question. In fact, that's one of the myths that <laughs> with enough training, someone can be a fabulous, great manager. Like you, anybody can be an extraordinary leader.
0: Right.
1: And this is probably controversial, but I don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, me neither.
1: I, I mean, we know we've all experienced, right? When you experience you know, leading and working for someone or, or whether it be in a project team or whether they you report to them on an org chart, if that were the case, all of the investments that we've made as organizations, we, we would have figured that out by now. Right. And we haven't. And so not every leader, not every person is is set up, if you will, to be a great leader. And some of that might, there may be cases of training. There's not one root cause, by the way. So it might be somebody hasn't received adequate training. It might be they haven't received adequate coaching. Maybe they want to be a great leader, but they have themselves have not had a support mechanism, for example, with a great coach to help them figure out where their own unique leader model is. That's a really common phenomena, by the way, because we try to smoosh people into these model. We don't give them the space to be their own unique best leader, and we right. don't give them the resources to do that. The other thing that happens probably most frequently is that we promote people into positions, leader positions, manager positions, supervisor positions, because they're really good at their job. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we totally undermine the thing that we're trying to do, right? We're trying to, how do we help people be more productive? How do we help them do higher quality work? How do we help them do more differentiating work? So we take this person who's really good at their job. We promote them into a manager job. We take away the work that they love And then we create this really complicated, messy, difficult set of things that we want them to do. And a lot of it's administrative. We call call that a manager. You're managing that, your position. And we wonder then why most of those folks are not successful or happy. So we've, we've removed the thing that makes them happy at work and added a whole bunch of stuff that they don't really want to do.
0: I've seen this happen the most. It happens everywhere in the org, but I've seen this happen the most in sales where uh, a gal is killing it in sales, killing quota, she's wonderful, she's just a, a pleasure to be around and more importantly she's killing quota and she's a great salesperson and then all of a sudden they promote uh, her to a sales manager or sales leader. And um, and they don't give her the tools and resources in which to be a great or an effective leader of salespeople, and 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 he or she fails because it's not as fun, it's not what they signed up to do, And and they're not good at it uh, because not not because they wouldn't be good at it, but because they weren't trained at it. And uh, but I've seen that happen a lot in sales. I'm, I'm sure I know it happens everywhere. I've just seen it a lot in sales.
1: It happens everywhere. So let's talk yep. a little bit about what some possible, I don't even want to call it a solution, but some things that organizations can do to help, maybe let's call it neutralize that particular situation.
0: right?
1: Because its we're not going to get rid of that. There are not enough people who are passionate about being people leaders to fill all of the open people leader slots that we have. It's a We know this is a very, very difficult job. And because work isn't grown up, we end up dealing with a lot of drama, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's not always a great thing to be in that position as a leader. Right. So there's a couple of things that organizations can do, and I highly recommend that they do to support how do we help people at least be proficient. And so really kind of step one is let's expect everybody to be proficient at their job of leading and managing a team. If we put them in that position, we need them to be proficient. Well, what does proficiency look like? Proficiency looks like this. Paying really, really frequent attention to those team members about near-term future work, like what's happening. We've talked about this, right? That practice of checking in with their people really frequently, super light touch, and it right. sounds like, what are your priorities this week? Do you need anything from me? And I want to make sure you're doing okay. Those right. three questions really frequently. If every manager leader did that every week with all of their direct reports, if they took five minutes to do that, that's what proficiency looks like. So if organizations clearly define the critical few things that leaders need to do to be proficient inside of their organizations, that would be the number one on my list, do that. And you now at least have an organization full of proficient leaders. And we know from the data that when organizations, when leaders have their um, check in with their people every single week, they're two to three to four times more likely to be all in at work. That one simple practice. So the second piece of that puzzle is to simplify. So organizations, HR, high-level leaders and organizations, what can you do to simplify the world work of managers? What can you do to take processes that are over-engineered and over-complicated, tasks, anything that you can do to simplify their world is going to pay back in droves for you because we've made that job not so great. It's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And we know the one thing that we absolutely need them to do is to pay more attention to their people. So let's create space for them to do that.
0: I love that. You know, it's, it's coming up on the hour and I don't think we got to like two of your myths, maybe three. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to do a part two of this so that we get to to do a part two. Let's do a part two. So Amy, thank you so much for carving out time for us in the audience.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me as usual, William. It's been a great, great couple minutes here talking with you about hot topics in the world of work.
0: 100%. We're going to do a part two. That way we can cross these off the list and then deal with the other parts on your list. So save your list so that we can actually do the other parts.
1: I look forward to it. Can't wait.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for the audience listening. Appreciate you. Until next time.